Hello fellow Switches, this is Sara. Welcome to a new solo episode of this Switches podcast. Today we are going to talk about how Motherland for Asylum's characters handle different emotions. And at the end, I will have a new recommendation on what to watch next for you guys. So we are starting with conflict. Rael is probably the one that we've seen deal with conflict the most. Obviously, there was a lot of conflict. Well, rather than conflict, there was a lot of anger coming to For Salem and there was conflict with the authorities. Um, you know, she was skipping classes. She was she was being late, making the unit lose points, and she even got a warning from Anacostia. And she's always quite confrontational with authorities. She's quite defiant. We see that at the wedding as well with um, one of the kisses that I love the most, obviously, like I always say, when she pulls Scylla in and kisses her right in front of an Acostia that is very defiant, that is very much a F you to an Acostia, and it's very much drawing a line, it's very much giving an Acostia and I suppose the army as a whole an ultimatum, like, this is the line that you don't cross, don't touch Scylla. If you come between Scylla and I, I will choose Scylla. Which obviously isn't what happens, because then when she finds out, obviously, she feels betrayed and we will get to that. There's also conflict with Abigail in the episode when Riel gets the letter from her mom and her mom says that it was Patra Bellwether that sent her out there. Rael goes and picks a fight with Abigail in the training room. There's also conflict after she learns the truth about Scylla and she storms into the cell. She's quite obviously quite angry at Scylla and she lashes out a bit, which is justified. But that is pretty much how Rael deals with conflict. She goes at it with um, an anger approach. She lashes out at people, she goes for a fight, she looks for a fight. It's not even about wanting to hurt the other person. When she fought Abigail, she wasn't quite winning because that wasn't the point. She didn't want to beat Abigail, she just needed to let it out. She needed a release. And that's very much what Riel does in a situation of conflict, she needs, she needs a release and she uses violence, whether it's physical violence or in the case of the cell with Scylla, is a verbal kind of violence that isn't necessarily violence but it's still, you know, letting the anger out and when it's with the authorities is acts of defiance. It's I'm not going to take orders from you, I'm not, you know, refusing to do something. And it's never simply refusing to do something. 
it's it's quite always refusing to do something and doing quite the opposite of what you want me to be doing. So you want me to focus on training and be a soldier. I'm gonna go be a lover. I'm gonna go do gay stuff with this hot girl and I'm gonna let her distract me. Then there's the conflict resolution. The way the rail handles conflict feels like, um, you know, at first you might think that it's quite counterproductive and unhealthy. However, it does allow her to resolve the conflict or deal with it better, handle it better, um, you know, sort of cope with it. In the case of Abigail, after the fight, well, it wasn't, it's not immediately after the fight, but she starts to respect Abigail a bit more. It's like, you handled it. I, I lashed out at you and you were able to handle it. You didn't break, you didn't, you didn't quite hold it against me later. And that's what kind of changes things for her in the way that she sees Abigail. With the army, this, the conflict with the army, again, being defiant and doing the opposite by going with Scylla does kind of mean, okay, well, if you're accepting this, if you're letting me do this, then I can meet you halfway and I'll come to training and I'll actually try. And we know that she improved. And Scylla was quite smug about it and saying that suggests that she improved because of Scylla. It's not necessarily because of Scylla, it's more because she found a way, she found a balance. The conflict is still there, she very much still doesn't want to be in the army, but she found a way to cope with it. She found a way to say, well, this is what I don't like about you, and I have to deal with that. So here's something that you won't like about me, and you'll have to deal with that. So that balances us out. And that does help her. Because she feels like, in a way, she is compromising a part of herself, but she's forcing the army to also compromise itself by allowing her to have this thing going on with Scylla. And obviously, in this case, the army here is represented by Anacostia. Moving on to Abigail. Abigail likes conflict when it's in the sense of competition, of um, trying to best someone else. So like, for example, with Libba, she loved that kind of conflict. However, she hates the conflict of losing control, not having the upper hand. As opposed to Libba, Libba was very much, uh, they were standing on equal ground and they were pushing and pulling each other. It was a battle that was very equal, very mutual, and even, you know, pushed them, each of them, to be better in order to beat the other. And it was very much a competition. And from what we see, Abigail most of the times managed to have the upper hand, so she quite enjoyed that. However, we see that with Adil, when she doesn't quite have the upper hand, she tries to, but it's a different kind of conflict. It's not a violent kind of conflict, it's more of a different opinions, different perspectives. 
kind of conflict but she has to deal with that and it's so different she can't just fight to have the upper hand she can't just best a deal because they're they're on completely different grounds Adil is coming from the point of view of the Tareem. So he's got all this knowledge that is simply different than Abigail's. He simply sees a different word. It's not better. He's not worse. It's just different. And Abigail is quite thrown off by this. However, instead of this pushing her away from Adil, it makes her want to find a way to handle this, find a way to grow into someone who's able to see things from Adil's point of view. And we quite see that when she wants to help him, when she tries to, to find a way for them to come together on common ground. And I think that was an important, uh, it was important to show Abigail's growth and Abigail's leadership skills because she goes from dealing with conflict in a way that she wants to win and we can even see that this is shown by the initial unit conflict. She can't stand Rael, she thinks that she's gonna fail because of Rael and so she goes to Alder to, to get a new unit and she's by doing that she is trying to maintain the upper hand that is how she can be the best because she feels like she can't be the best if her unit is holding her back and you know Alder tells her no and she is forced to learn how to deal with Rael which is good because it's what makes Abigail a leader in the long run. At the point when we see her interactions with Adil, she's already grown some. And at first, with their first interaction, she still tries to get the upper hand. She still... Adil is talking about something completely different. He's showing her completely new kind of magic to um, everything that Abigail has unknown before. And she brings it back to the army because that's her comfortable territory. So she, she brings it back in a way, oh, the army could use this, you know, so as to have the upper end on it. Because she doesn't fully understand it. So her instinct is, if I am to be comfortable with this thing that I do not know about, then I need to know how to use it. And Adil walks away at that and Abigail's not she looks kind of confused because she's she's used to conflict in the way of fighting whether it's verbally or physically that she can do but Adil doesn't want to beat her or best her he doesn't want to be right in the argument that they're having he's just talking about something else that he doesn't want to have to compare or see in the light of what could the army do with this so he just walks away and she doesn't quite know what to do with that so she has to work on this conflict on her own and that then brings her to the part where she wants the help 
Adil and it's she's finally understood how to breach their differences and it isn't you have something that I don't understand but that I could use that the army could use it's more of you have something and you want to protect it and I understand you even if I don't understand the things that you're talking about so I want to help you I want to use the thing that I know to sort of bring these two words together in a way that isn't one winning over the other, one subjugating the other. It's more of a coexistent way of supporting each other. And that's quite different for her. And it shows a lot of growth. Tally, of course, she comes off as the peacekeeper. But we know that Tally is actually quite good at standing up for herself. Every major conflict that we see, Tally does not remain silent. Or particularly, well, she remains calm, but not, not subdued. So the first conflict that we see, obviously, is with her mom. Her mom doesn't want her to join the army and she does it anyway. And she doesn't want to escalate things with her mom. She does try to keep calm as much as possible. She walks away. She refuses to fight over it again. But she does stand up for herself. She doesn't let people sway her. And Tally might be the one character who has perhaps even the best and healthiest approach to conflict. I think the second one in chronolog chronological order that we see is when she wind strikes a civilian. So this guy is panicking and she tries to calm him down and then he starts to verbally abuse her and she's at first she's still calm trying to get him to stop yelling, um, telling him, you know, telling him that They'll be protected inside, it's fine. And when he escalates it by trying to put his hands on her, she's not shy in the way that she responds. She wind strikes him through a window. You wouldn't expect that from little Sunny Tally. <laughs> but she has no problem standing up for herself. And she has no problems defending herself. And that wasn't necessarily lashing out. Although she does use more strength than she needs. But I do feel like that was kind of a way to prevent more conflict inside. You know, showing how easily and how strongly she dealt with this one person that tried to attack her then probably meant that nobody else tried anything against witches. Which was dealing with the situation quickly and effectively. Then we see it again with Abigail, when Abigail is going off and Tally tells her not to yell at her. So in that case, she is trying to deal with Abigail in this upset state. But she does not let Abigail cross the line. When there's the city drop situation, she does try to insist 
with Anacostia. And with Garrett, she does not, you know, she leaves immediately, she doesn't, she doesn't waver. What Tally might need to improve in the way that she handles conflict could be asking for help and actually leaning on other people. Because she tends to only deal with conflict herself and resolve it all on her own. And yeah, with Garrett, she does vent to her friends. But it isn't quite the same thing. She doesn't really lean on her friends regarding conflict, which could be something that, you know, could be helpful. Now, Scylla, well, other than dropping bombs on civilians and um, causing mass suicides, she mostly deals with um, little jabs and loads of sarcasm. That's how she deals with most situations, to be fair. She's very much defiant the same way that Rael is. And it doesn't matter whether it's conflict, fear um, that she's trying to, to handle, she reacts by trying to remain in control of the situation. And that very much usually simply looks like sarcasm. It's not easy to point out conflict that we've seen for Scylla because, well, you could say that there were a few, but they were mixed with other stuff. So like when Rael leaves in the morning because Scylla won't open up, I guess that sort of conflict. And she is, she looks kind of offended that her manipulation isn't working. But I don't know if we could consider that conflict because there's so much manipulation going on at that point. For Scylla, it's a mission, so it's more like failure. She's more dealing with, um, you know, the risk of failing rather than an actual conflict within the relationship. When we see the ending scene with the balloon breaking the glass, again, it's not really conflict because her reaction is more scared. With Anacostia, there's a lot of conflict, and the way that she deals with that is defiance and sarcasm. Sarcasm is a way for her to remain in control, to keep the upper hand, as well as a defense mechanism. She is sarcastic when she's scared, she's sarcastic when she's confrontational with Abigail, for, for example. She's always sarcastic. It's like it's in her blood. Conflict at the end when she gets captured. I don't know if we could call that conflict because I mean it, it's conflict but mostly she's scared and she's in danger. You know she could she could die. So I don't know if it's conflict but again it involves a lot of sarcasm. And after when she talks a bit more on the same level with Anacostia before Anacostia lets her go. Again, that's kind of trying to to get the upper hand, to control the situation, to control their, the, their interaction. Anacostia, on the other hand, is the opposite. She's, um, she's very methodical. She's got a very organized mind. So the way that she deals with conflict 
first she looks at rules, you know, protocol or whatever rules apply in the situation. She looks at how that works. Anna Kostya has a very organized mind and she's in a very military mind as well. While not excessively focused on war, she does have a practical approach, a planning kind of approach. So when she disagreed with Alder about Scylla, when she said that she has sensed remorse in Scylla, and Alder still wanted to send her off to die, basically, Anacostia then decided not to not to get into a fight with Alder, not to engage the conflict, and instead work her way around it. She acknowledged that there was conflict. They strongly disagreed on something very important, so Anacostia simply planned something different. She went behind Alder's back and she got her own plan in motion. Now, Alder deals with conflict in one of the worst possible ways. She is incredibly controlling, obviously, because, I mean, she's been in power for over 300 years. That needs a high level of control. She's very much team of one mindset. You know, if you want something done correctly, do it yourself. Um, she trusts herself and no one else. She barely trusted Anacostia. She didn't trust Anacostia enough to let her in on the puppeting. And that is very much what she does. So when there is conflict, she takes a very controlling approach. She doesn't see conflict as something that needs to be resolved between parties. She sees conflict as a problem, as an obstacle that needs to be removed instead. So the main example is with the president. They disagree, there's conflict, so what Alder does is simply remove the problem. She puppets the president, removing the issue, removing the obstacle to her authority. When she finds out that the unit uh, went behind her back and talked to Petra, she sends them to the front lines. She's removing the problem. She then changes her mind, sure, um, but that's her first instinct. She doesn't approach conflict. She removes it. She simply erases the problem because she doesn't see conflict as something that, that she needs to work on. She simply sees it as an obstacle to her power and she deals with it accordingly. Let's talk about fear. How do our characters react to being afraid, being scared? And what are they most afraid of? I feel like for Rael, her biggest fear is loss. She's lost her mother. She then loses Scylla. She's probably afraid of losing her father. What she's not afraid of is dying. At least at first. Self-sacrifice comes easy. And even the way that she handles the fear that must come with 
battle. So like in the last episode, even then, the way that she deals with it is throwing herself right in. She's afraid of losing people, but she's not afraid of dying. So she simply throws herself at the fight. Of course, Riel's got the whole tough act going on, so she doesn't tend to show fear. She pretty much deals with it on her own. She does, in a way, in a small way, reach out to her friends eventually, when it gets too much. So when she's afraid that Scylla might be dead, she has this whole breakdown and she does let her friends help. But it's quite hard for her to get to that point, so I feel like one thing that we need to see for Rael's character is the evolution of this. Seeing her learn to lean on her friends more and accept help and ask for help when she needs it. When she's really terrified, she does like fully completely break down. So when Scylla was missing, um, you know, when she overdoses on Salva basically to go and look for her at the beach, she could have asked for help. She could have asked Abigail and Tally, but she was also afraid of them saying no. She feels like she has to deal with it on her own because another fear of hers is to be abandoned by the people who say they care about her and the people that she cares about. And when Scylla went missing, you know, that was her biggest fear then combined with this other fear of Abigail and Tally not being there for her. So it will be good to see Rael realize that Tally and Abigail will be there for her. I mean, Abigail is now stuck in the middle of nowhere with her because she tried to save her, despite the fact that Rael wouldn't have died anyway because of the mushroom. So I hope that she will work through it and that we will see her grow in this regard. Moving on to Abigail, what Abigail, what I feel like Abigail is most afraid of is failure. And the way that she deals with it is mostly trying to retain control of the situation to, to fight whatever she's afraid of. Fighting is also an outlet for her. After the wedding, she gets Bridie's support and she doesn't easily accept help. But what then happens is that they fight and that's an outlet for Abigail that then allows her to open up and finally accept Bridie's help. Another way that she deals with fear is by putting herself in a leadership position. Because I feel like for her that's sort of a... If I'm leading, if I am responsible for these other people, it means that I have to pull myself together. I cannot afford to break down. I can't afford to lose it like Riel did. I can't afford to do that because I am responsible for the safety of these other people. And I feel that. I do feel that. She does, however, need to learn how to open up more and accept help more easily. So again, she also has quite a lot of growth to do in this regard. Tally, I feel like, has 
a healthier approach to fear in the sense that she allows herself to feel the emotion. She allows herself to be afraid, which helps her remain calm, helps her keep a clear mind and make decisions. So again, in City Drop, her decision would have been to save the hostages. She wasn't in a decision-making position, but she chose not to participate when they destroyed the truck. She chose to insist with Anacostia and throughout, she remained calm. She was afraid, of course she was afraid. She was about to, they were about to kill people, to kill innocent people, to kill their own people. But she remained calm. She didn't freak out, she didn't lose it, even though it hurt and it stayed with her. And in the final episode during the battle, she has to make a very quick decision to become a Biddy. And she must be so scared, but that's okay. She knows that fear is something that she can allow herself to feel and then face. Feel the fear, understand why it's there, and then deal with it. Deal with the situation. Anacostia has a very similar approach to fear as she does to conflict. It's very systematic, it's very much I am trained for this and a planning mindset. I don't know if we've really seen Anacostia afraid because mostly she acts. I don't know if she might have been afraid during the wedding with the balloon attack. She could have been. She simply reacted, just like everybody else did, because she's trained for this. So I feel like in those kind of situations, and then later in City Drop, she falls back on her training and she relies on that. She relies on the fact that I'm trained to do this, I don't even really have to think about it, I just react. Which is a very soldier-like behavior. I would be very interested to see how she handles more personal fears. Because we haven't really seen Anacostia's personal side yet. We've seen her as a soldier, we've seen her as a military person, we've seen her as somebody who can be a leader, who can, you know, have her own plan for things. But we haven't really seen her as an individual yet. So I would be very, very interested to see that. Scylla's reaction to fear. We haven't seen a lot of it because we've seen Scylla be afraid of the spree, of the Camarilla, and of the army. Now, when she was scared of the spree, we, we could tell that she was scared, but she didn't exactly react in any way. We could say that at the wedding she reacted by following her heart, and so, you know, not bringing Rael in, despite the fact that she knew there would be consequences for that. In that way, she faced her fear, or she pushed, she pushed her fear aside, maybe. But we haven't really seen her deal with it a lot. 
we simply know that she is scared of the spray. With the Camarilla, she's obviously terrified of the Camarilla. She's, we don't, again, we don't see a lot of this. We just see her mention that a witch was burned, but we don't even know if necessarily she knows about the Camarilla specifically. But we know that she's afraid of this, of this hatred and violence towards witches, which is what, uh, part of what pushed her to join the spree. So again, this could mean that the way that she reacts to fear is with action. She takes action to fight that fear. The main example that we have of Scylla dealing with fear is when she's in the cell with Alder and she's definitely scared, but what we see is that she handles with a lot of sarcasm as a defense mechanism to keep herself feeling in control of the situation as not to give any power to the other person, not let them know that she's afraid. That's very much it. And we see that what breaks her is the fear for somebody else. Scylla very much can handle herself being scared. She can, Well, she can handle being scared for herself, for her life. I mean, she's lost so much already. She's been through so much already. So she's not really bothered about being afraid for her life. But when she feels afraid for Rael, that's when she breaks. But we haven't otherwise seen her deal with fear a lot. And I do want to see more of that. And I assume that we will because now that she is back with the spree, whether she's already undercover for Anacostia or whether that's going to happen later, she must be afraid of Willa. So it will be interesting to see how she deals with that. So far, we've seen walls of sarcasm and taking action against her fears, doing something about it. With Alder, in a way, it's quite the opposite of this. Rather than doing something about her fears, if she's really scared of something, she'll be in denial of it for as long as she can. And we see this very clearly with the Camarilla, because she denies, she tries to deny that the Camarilla are back until the very end, when she's literally faced with them. And her reaction there is quite bad. She isn't quick to react. Yes, she fights, but she almost loses. If it hadn't been for Tally, she, she could have very much died. All because she was in denial the whole time. She, she's so terrified of the Camarilla, and that is probably why they present such a huge threat. Her storm, the storm that she summons, wipes away most of them, which means if she had been prepared from the very beginning, she could have wiped away all of them. She could have reacted immediately. So if she hadn't been so in denial, and if she had a better handle on her fears, she could have reacted more quickly and she could have attacked before the Camarilla did. 
But none of this happens because Alder is not... I was gonna say that Alder is not used to being afraid, but she is. Except she thinks it must be a thing of the past. For, for the past 300 years, what she's been really afraid of was losing power, was losing her authority, losing her position. It was letting the Salem Accord fall through. She was afraid of going back to the old ways. And being in control helps her fight this because so long as she has control over everything, control over the spree, control over, you know, even the whole fighting, not fighting the spree, the whole dance around the spree that she was doing at the beginning, even that is very controlling. It's very much, I'm gonna keep this threat at bay and they're getting stronger so we need to hit them harder, but I don't want to necessarily erase it because this threat makes it so the humans need me. It means that it assures that I remain in power because there is a need for me. So her idea of dealing with that fear was simply to keep it in a very controlled situation so that she needed, she didn't need to worry about it. So that she, you know, could control all the, all the variables. The camarilla is a variable that she can't control. And it's a fear, it's, it's such an old, ancient fear that she doesn't know how to deal with it. She doesn't know how to deal with the possibility of it. So she goes into a full-on denial that hurts her and puts her in a position of great disadvantage. And it's also something that probably comes with a lot of psychological trauma. It brings back her childhood, a childhood that is filled with persecution and nightmares and horrors and torture. So of course it would be really really hard to deal with this and she's shut it all out for so long because, well from what we know about her character and what Elliot has said, it sounds like for all this 300 years she's tried to put the past well behind her and make sure that it stayed there. She didn't want to think about her past, it was too scary. So she kind of locked it away in in a drawer some, somewhere at the back of her mind and she doesn't open it because it's just too much. It's too much trauma that she hasn't actually dealt with. I feel like at first after signing the Salem Accord, she was very much just, you know, just diving in head first, just um, step after step, fight after fight, without thinking about what had happened to her in the past. She had just pushed it back to deal with it later because now I have to fight. I have to do this, fight their wars so that they're happy with me and they won't persecute us. And then she just never dealt with it. It just remained in that remote part of her of her mind where she had locked it. And now that remote room in her mind that was locked safely has been kicked open 
and there's all this trauma that will be rushing back now that she can't deny it anymore that the Camarilla is back. I very, 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 very much want to see how she deals with it and I, I really hope that we'll see how she deals with the trauma. Because again, if she's never dealt with it properly before, she will have to deal with it now or it will make her weak. It will be an obstacle, it will hinder her defenses and it will be a threat to all witches. Remaining in theme of dealing with emotions, my recommendation for what you guys can watch next after Motherland for Salem is Never Have I Ever. This is a new show that recently came out. Is it gay? Well, it's not particularly gay, but it does have a lesbian as one of the regular characters. She's one of the BFFs of the protagonist and there is a very nice coming out story. The cast is incredibly diverse. This story is very much a coming of age high school story. However, there's a lot of dealing with emotions and trauma. The story follows this girl whose father dies right in front of her, basically. It was, she was at a school play. Her parents were in the audience and her father dies right there. And this is pretty much where the show picks up from. Then we just follow her not dealing, trying to avoid dealing with the trauma of her father dying. And at the same time, dealing with normal high school stuff. So like going after the boy that she likes, conflict with her best friends, um, having to choose whether to prioritize the boy that she likes or her best friends and all of that. It's quite nicely done. The high school drama isn't necessarily new, but it's quite honest. The acting is very nice. And I really enjoyed it. There's also a lot of conflict with the mother. There's um, some cultural conflicts, especially when... Actually, no, I'm not gonna spoil. You guys go watch, tell me what you think of it, and let me know if there's anything else that you are watching now that Motherland is filming season two. That was it for today. As always, send us feedback. Let us know if there's anything that you would like to hear on this podcast. You can tweet at us, send us a message on Twitter or Instagram at Switches Podcast. And remember to share the podcast with your friends. Stay safe and thank you for tuning in.